Bless you, Lord. Bless you. Bless you. I, I, there's a whole biblical message in that song. Some of the frustrations that people feel in life is because they're trying to reap where they haven't sown. Yeah, you're trying to get, you're trying to get, you have put no sweat equity in anything. And yet you believe you're supposed to receive all the blessings that come in that space. And unfortunately, we're raising our children to believe the same thing. Yeah, that as if someone owes you something. And that's simply how it works. The farmer knows that the ground doesn't owe it anything. Doesn't owe anything. He knows that if he doesn't put anything in the ground, then he should have no expectation that something's going to bud and come out of the ground. We to the ground looking for harvest, but we didn't sow anything. Yeah. You got to work. You got to work. As As small as it may seem, the satisfaction that a farmer receives when he picks one potato from the ground that he planted is immense because he knows what he put into the ground and that God favored him with a harvest is immensely gratifying. And I'm looking at some folk in here right now who have been sowing for years and I'm watching them reap the harvest in their life. God has blessed them Amen. abundantly because of the sowing that they did. And I celebrate with them. I, and in fact, I talk to them. I use them as examples all the time. When you sow in a good life, you can reap a harvest of peace in your life. And when you're a giver, You'll never have enough. God will always keep blessing you when you're a giver. Some folk, you need to resolve this year to be less stingy. What you do, you need to learn how to help somebody else. It's yourself. All you get ain't for you. All you get is not for you. Somebody else, and not so you can get something out of it, simply because the blessing is needed by them. And I promise you, if you adopt that lifestyle, you can't be God given. He's gonna take care of you. You'll never have you'll never have uh, a day without having what you need. If you adopt that lifestyle, if you resolve, I'm gonna do better this year. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know now. I'm telling you what I know. The Lord will bless you. But you first have to show yourself to me. one word. Faithful. Faithful. Trust him. Believe him. And so I wonder. And I think this fits in with this message. This series we're about to go into for the next few weeks is concentrating on our character as believers. Who are we in Christ? 
in Christ. And not only who are we in Christ, who are we in the body of Christ? Are we involved? Are we connected? Are we believers? And so this sermon series that we're going to start is simple, two words. Well, technically it's three words, but we hyphenate one of them. <laughs> I'm in is the name of the series. I'm in. I'm in. I came to ask the question today, are you in? Are you in? Not are you in this building. Not are you in this sanctuary. Are you in the body of Christ? Are you involved in the body of Christ? There are four things that come from your connection to Jesus Christ. Four things that you should know and that we're going to elaborate on over these next few weeks. Four things that you need to know about participating in the body of Christ. You can be around something and not in it. Yeah, you can be around the body of Christ and not be a part of it. I don't need to go through scripture, even though I am going to give you some examples, and show you all the thousands of people that were following Jesus Christ. Some out of curiosity, some just nosy, but there was a small few that were disciples. Just a small number were actually in the fellowship. In fact, some of them that walked every day with Jesus, talked every day with Jesus, ate every day with Jesus, got taught by Jesus, were with the disciples and not of the disciples. They got all the best information and training, and they weren't in because they had their own preconceived notions of what it ought to be. And so I just came today to ask you the question, are you in? And every message we're going to talk about these next few weeks will start with those two little words. You can say, I'm in. Every message will start with the letters I-N. I'm the first one today we're going to talk about. When I'm connected to Jesus Christ, I'm invited. Today, I'm invited. And then we're going to talk about I'm in influential and lastly we're going to talk about I'm invested the question is the one you have to ask today is are you in a video clip I want you to see that I believe explains it's embedded in that there you just keep pushing pass that one going to start automatically. When you're not connected to the body of Christ, it's, it's quick. You're quick to lose your fervor, your enthusiasm. It doesn't matter how excited you are when you first come to know him, but when you don't have a connection to a faith family, to a body of believers, you lose your passion 
you lose quickly the desire. You don't even grow as much, which is why you can't be a lone wolf in a body of Christ. You gotta be connected some kind of way to the body of Christ. If you just keep pushing the video, the, 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 the slides, it'll play. Okay. And so today I want us to turn in our Bibles to the gospel according to St. Luke. Chapter 7. We're going to start around verse 36. That's going to be the underpinning for our message. The message here today is about identity in Christ. Who am I in Christ? What kind of people are involved in the body of Christ? Because I get a disproportionate view that everybody in the body of Christ is all right. Everybody's doing pretty good. Everybody gives the appearance that everything is lined up like they want it. And I've got this belief that that's simply not how church was designed to be. That church is a hospital. And why do you need a hospital if everybody's well? But in this hospital, we don't ever see the brokenness of life. We don't ever see the problems. We spend a lot of time trying to prove to everybody that I've got everything lined up. And it's that effort that's wrecking us. The fact that we spend so much energy trying to prove to everybody I've got it all together is tearing my life apart. If I would just be, then I would be, I would start to be better. If people could have just accept me for where I am, the problems that I have, and believe it or not, most of them will because they got the same issues going on or something. But we spend a lot of time trying to put on the illusion of, I'm not gonna even use the word prosperity, the illusion of all rightness. Every day I see people battle the forces of darkness, day in and day out. And without a community of faith to help you in that battle, it's a lonely place to be. And then the way the darkness runs it convinces you that you're by yourself and you get paranoid and that paranoia pushes you further away from people it's a never-ending cycle of can't get better and i came to tell you today at some point you got to break out from where you are you got to do something radical to change your circumstances if you expect to continue or start to grow. And so that's why we're launching this, this study called I'm In. At some point, I had to stop trying to live as the manager of my life. Okay. And I had to identify someone bigger, better, greater, able to do what I was. I identified Jesus Christ. 
I don't know who you've identified as the one who ought to be managing your life, but if they're not doing it right, you need to fire them. If it's you, you need to fire yourself and find somebody else who can lead your life better than you are. Don't get it wrong now. Every good salesman got one or two things they can do right for you. But when they run out of two things, come on, Red, you know this. Every musician got two songs they can sing good. Yeah. A couple of them they can slay you with. Every preacher got two sermons they can go, you know. I got my A and my B. You know, if I go two times, I'm going to have to do A and B. But when it comes to doing it every day, every week, day in and day out, you need to be looking for somebody who can manage your life every day, all day, every circumstance. And that takes somebody who's special. And so this message is about identity. And I want you to understand that the heart behind our church has to be love. It has to be caring about people. It has to be reaching people where they are and not expecting them to already be there when they come to this place. We're not interviewing for perfect church members. We're not asking for resumes on all rightness. You don't have to meet a profile when you come in this joint. You gotta be willing to come in and work to do better. And sometimes people are too exhausted by life to start working right away. They just need to be loved to a place that they can, they can get better. I know I'm right about it because I've seen folk. I, I know I've seen people come in here and they will tow up from the floor. But somebody said, how you doing? And that gave them a smile and they hadn't had a smile on their face in forever. And for nothing, for no other reason, they kept coming back Sunday after Sunday just so somebody would say, all right, how you doing? They didn't care really about the preaching. They didn't care about singing. All they cared about was somebody paid attention to them. And they came in the church so somebody would think that they were more than nothing. Because you don't know, some people live life every day and nobody ever respects them as a person. They're made to feel like nothing wherever they go. And I'm just foolish enough to believe that church is supposed to be different. Everybody's supposed to have worth. And I want us to dispel whatever rumors we have in here that if you're not doing okay, you're not welcome here. Everybody's welcome in this space. With all your goodness or your badness, you're welcome in this place. And so my question today to you is, are you in? Are you in? Are you, are you in? Are you in the body of Christ? Some of you honestly have to say no to that. Yeah, don't fool yourself. Don't, don't fool yourself. Some of you come to church all the time, but you're not in. You're not in. You call, but you're not in. You're around. You hear about it. 
you talk about it, but you're not in. And I know you want to be. And guess what? We want you to be. But that's a heart issue that you have to deal with between you and the Lord. First thing you need to know is without any doubt, you're invited. The door is open. The door is open even times when these physical doors are locked. The doors to the church are wide open because that's one of the myths that we got out there that you have to come through these doors and down this aisle in order to be in the body of Christ. That's not true. You can be in the body of Christ from anywhere you are. Now, if you want to be a part of this church congregation, all you got to do is find one of the leaders of this church, wherever they are. You see them in Walmart. You can tell them, I want to be part of the church congregation. And I guarantee you they're going to steer you to the place so we can make that an official situation between you and the Lord. It ain't got to be something that scares you. They're just going to come back and say, Reverend, I saw such and such Walmart, and they said they want to join the body of Christ. I'm simply going to have a conversation with you and come back before this church congregation and acknowledge to them that you decided you want to have fellowship with us and be a part of this church. You simply make that acknowledgement, and we're good. You can be part of this church. Let me see if I can give you a story that underpins how that works. It's found here in Luke. It seems that one of the Pharisees in town named Simon had a party. Let me read it for you. Luke, starting at chapter 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Watch this now, 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I got something to tell you. And Simon said, tell me, teacher. And Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was how they counted money. And it was equal to about one day's wages. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50. But neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. And Jesus asked, now which one will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman who was crying and weeping over his feet and wiping his feet with the tears. And he said to her, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss, but this woman hadn't stopped kissing my feet since I entered the room. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. 200 years, two, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked this land. And I can tell you this. He proclaimed, proclaimed to be God, and people looked at him like he was crazy. And all he did in the 33 years, really three years of perfect, three years of, of actual ministry, was prove that he said he was Jesus, the Son of God, and prove that he was the Son of God. And it wasn't always in the miraculous settings that you and I look for. It wasn't always feeding thousands. It wasn't always healing lepers and blind people. Sometimes it was in small personal situations, just like we see at this. The man named Simon was a tax collector, which means that he was rich and hated. All right, and the reason why they would have been hated at that time is because tax collectors were actually Jews who worked for the Roman authority. And because they worked under the umbrella of the Roman authority, they were able to take advantage of the other Jews, which means they would get not only what the Roman authorities required of the people, but they would also get a little something else for themselves. And so these same Jews who lived among them actually lorded over them. In our history, in the black community, we would have called them straw bosses. Straw bosses, all right? They were just a little bit higher than the actual slaves. See, it wasn't Massa up in the big house that caused the day-to-day -day problems for the slave. It was the dude sitting out on that nag, on that horse, who made sure that all the folk in the field did what they had to do every day. They called him the straw boss. And he was the one who was evil and who had to show them that he was in charge because in reality, he was afraid because he was just a little bit higher than the slave. And if Massa wasn't dogging the slaves, he'd have been dogging him. And that's where we are with this Simon, who's the tax collector. Simon is going to show his wealth. He is, I'm sorry, he's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees had to be bigger, better, come on, smarter than anybody else. And they had to prove that they were smarter, forgive me, than anybody else. And so they'd have parties. Now, what would a party look like in that day? Immediately, you come to our idea of what a party is. It wasn't that. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't socializing in the sense that you and I like to socialize. He would gather all the big thinkers in the community, and he would invite them to their house. And the houses at that time were laid out such that when you had resources, away from the kitchen area would be an adjacent porch. 
And all the Pharisees would go out on that porch and they would have discourse, which simply means conversation. And they would talk about the issues of the day, Nikki. They would talk about the, 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 the issues that made them seem more significant or more important. And the way the houses were laid out was such that people walking up and down the street could hear these conversations. Why? Because they wanted to prove to everybody that they knew everything. Not only that, they were falsely pious, which means they kept the letter of the law, but they didn't care about people. Yeah, there were over 600 different laws that the Pharisees had to keep. And they made sure they kept every one of them to the letter. If it said that they had to tithe, they tithed on everything that came into their possession. Everything. If they got, if they gave, if they got an ounce of some new uh, uh, grain, they had to give 10% of it. And they had to tell everybody they did it. This Simon, forgive me, is having a party. And he decides he's going to invite the most famous man in town. And the most famous man in town at that time was named Jesus Christ. He was a rock star. Everybody wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to see what he was doing. So Simon invited him to his house. And while they are sitting there in discourse, and Jesus is listening to him, according to Luke's version of the story, a woman breaks up through the meeting. Now, this is no any woman. This is also a very notable woman in the community, Ingrid, but she's notable for another reason. She's notable because she's the one who everybody knows, but nobody goes around. Yeah. They don't even put a name on her. You ought to know when they don't put a name on anybody in Scripture, that means it can be anybody, which means if you want to just think about it, it could be you. Her life was such that she would have been one of undesirables in the community. She had no business coming to Simon's house. And yet she had the audacity to not only come to Simon's house, she busted up and went to his most famous guest. His most famous guest, she kneeled down in front of him. And the Bible says that she did a few things that were absolutely unusual under those circumstances. But who is this girl? Why does she have this reputation? Well, this girl is somebody who never intended to be in the life she was living. This girl, somebody who never got invited to a party when she, I can use, can I use my sanctified mind and tell you who this girl is? This girl is the girl who never got invited to a sleepover with her friend. This girl is someone who didn't have anybody looking out for her when she was a, a young lady. She didn't. She, maybe her mama had to work and couldn't pay attention to her. Or maybe she was left at home with a daddy who was violent. Or maybe a daddy who was taking care of business at somebody else's house and couldn't take care of business at his own house. Whatever the case, this girl finds herself at a place in life when things have just gone wrong. How do you get to that place in life? Don't act like you don't know somebody that's been in this place. Don't act like everybody that came out. She didn't sit around in a circle with her friends saying, when I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher. Somebody else said, well, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, I want to sell real estate. 
or when I grow up, I want to be a scientist. There's nobody that stands up in the circle when you're with your friends if you got one and says, when I grow up, I want to be a hooker. Nobody says that, that that's my primary job that I want to be. I'm, I'm aiming to be the best prostitute in Birmingham. Don't nobody say that. And so the question is, how do you show up at that place in life and find yourself as the most known prostitute in the town? How do you show up and find your life wrecked like that? Well, it's because you made some choices and some decisions, or maybe the world just fell on top of you and things got out of hand. But that's how she shows up at Simon's house that day. What, what could have possibly happened? Maybe it was some, maybe she was sexually molested. Oh, don't act like it don't happen in the community now. So we get quiet when I show up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she was sexually molested. Yeah by somebody maybe outside of family, maybe inside of family, and nobody took care of her. Or maybe she found herself illiterate because somebody didn't make sure she could get the kind of education. Yeah, I pull this into a modern context because I want you to understand that this girl, this hooker, is walking around our neighborhood right now. Yeah, this hooker is on the other side of that door right now, and she's wondering, where can I go find somebody who cares about me? And what I came to tell you is this has to be the place that she finds help and healing. And when we make this place unavailable to her, where in the world can she go and get better? Where can she go and get her life together if this place is off limits to her? Where can she go? And Jesus came to tell her in this place, Simon thought he was coming for him. I came to tell you that Jesus came in there for her. Yeah, because it doesn't matter who invited Jesus to the place, we always invite him to come in there and be with Jesus. When you're broken, wherever Jesus is, you're invited. When you're sick, wherever Jesus is, you're invited. When you need something, wherever Jesus is, you're invited. And I came to tell you today, she came in there, and when she reached his feet, the weight of her life poured out of her. The tragedy poured out of her. The abuse poured out of her. The fact that nobody even thought she was worth anything. Just, just something to be you by somebody else. All of this poured out of her in the form of her tears. She ran to a man when most days she spent running from a man. She ran to a man who she thought could make a difference in her life. You got to understand this wasn't no easy thing for her because her judgment had been off on men. She had trusted men before and they let her down every time. She trusted so many men who told her that they were gonna treat her good, take care of her, only to realize that that's just a, use me. Use me as much as he could and then he put me out. Worth nothing. But she, what is it about this man? I, I believe if you study back a little bit, maybe in Luke 
you'll see what Jesus was doing prior to coming to Simon's house. But if you study the scripture, you'll find in Matthew a parallel verse to the time before Jesus got to Simon's house. Because I wonder what makes her come to Jesus. Out of all the stuff going on in the community, what makes her stop plying her trade as a harlot, a prostitute? What makes her stop her busy day earning just enough money to get something to eat? What makes her run away from her pimp that day? and decides she's going to go to Simon's house and risk her life. What is she here in the community that day that made her want to go to this man's house? The Bible tells me, Matthew, that earlier that day, Jesus had been talking to the folks in the community, and she must have been in the background and saw him out there. She must have heard Jesus out there talking to this group of men who walked up to him. Turned out the group of men were the disciples of John the Baptist. They had come because John had been put in prison. And John was in trouble. Y'all know this story. John sent his disciples to Jesus because he was in a tough spot. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should I look for another? Are you the one? Now this is John who was born as Jesus' cousin. This is the one, Jesus. This is the one who heard God speak from heaven and tell uh, Jesus he was well pleasing him. This is the same John who was in the water with Jesus at that very time. And this John was confused because life had wrecked him at that point. Had him locked up when he was supposed to be sitting on high. This John had to send his disciples and ask Jesus and this girl, this woman, must have been in the background, Brittany. She must have heard Jesus' response to the disciples of John the Baptist when they asked, are you the one? It's an amazing thing what you can hear when you're hustling. It's an amazing thing when you're nosy. You might just hear something that might change your life. Some of us hustle for nothing just so we can gossip. But every now and then, you might hear something that might make the difference and how you live, and that was the day for her. She heard Jesus Christ say something to her that was, to them that was shocking. He said, cast your burdens on me. Cast your cares, can I paraphrase, on me. Cast your concerns on me. In other words, she heard a man tell the disciples, go tell John that you're seeing people receive their sight, that you're seeing the deaf start hearing, that you're seeing captives set free. In other words, everything that was promised in Scripture, I'm doing. Go remind John that I'm the one who was promised to come. Not only that, go tell John that I'm the one who's going to take away the burdens of this world. Go and tell him that I am the one who's going to be able to take the burdens of life and relieve them. Now that might not mean anything to you, but when you're on the streets and somebody's been abusing you, when you've been taken advantage of to hear somebody say, 
They have a, the ability to take away your burdens. To hear somebody say that you have the ability to take away my concerns, then that's enough for you to want to follow that person. Watch this. Matthew wrote it this way. He heard, she heard Jesus say, come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened. I like the King James Version. It said, weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find, watch this now, rest for your soul. If she didn't want anything else, y'all, she wanted some rest. She needed some rest. And while she has spent her life giving herself to men, Today, she came to this man who was promising something completely different. And she said, today, I choose to give myself to you. I choose to give myself away so you can use me. She said, my life is not my own no more. To you, this is what she's saying to Jesus. Oh, she might not have said it in word, but her tears said it to her. I'm giving myself to you. To you I belong. I give myself to you. But watch this now. Here this woman is pouring her heart out, literally. Literally pouring her heart out to Jesus. Her tears are staining his feet. And she does two things that you need to understand. Totality of what she was doing can't be underestimated. First, this woman is sensing and realizing that as she's crying, her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. There is no cloth there to dry his feet. And so she does what's unheard of in that culture. The Bible says she lets her hair down. You don't understand in that culture for a woman to take her hair down and expose her hair being down is enough for her to have been killed. This woman risks her life to use her hair to dry Jesus' feet. Everyone in that room would have been offended in their piousness because she let her, not because she was crying. They're already upset that a prostitute is in the room, but they would be even more so mortified that this prostitute comes down and exposes herself by letting her hair down. And so while they're offended, Jesus' heart is warm. Can I tell you something? Sometimes the things that offend man, Jesus loves. Jesus loves our nakedness. When we come to him and we show to him that we are in fact completely open to him. But not only does she let her hair down and dry his feet, she then turns around and she takes a container. Everybody's writing about this alabaster box full of perfume. Why is it so important that this woman then takes a, a year's worth of wages in this alabaster box full of perfume and she breaks it on his feet and pours it? Well, first of all, you should know this. Ordinary women in that time didn't wear perfume. Didn't wear it. It was too expensive. 
for an ordinary woman to wear perfume. So the only reason you had perfume, it was a calling card. If you got perfume, that means you're a woman of the street. So having it in the first place told everybody what you were. You didn't walk around with it, and that's because there was not a whole lot of water in that time. And so if you're going to put your calling card on, you had to perfume up before somebody was going to come and, and pay attention to you. That's the only way you can get to them. And so what she's saying is, from this moment forward, I'm not going to perfume up no more. I'm getting rid of the way I make my living. From this moment forward, I don't need my perfume. All I need is you, Jesus. All I need is you. And so she breaks it and tells the room, all the white diamonds on the floor. <laughs> Tell the room, I'm done. I'm finished. You, Simon, didn't invite me, but this man has drawn me in with his words. I'm invited to be a part of wherever he is. And Simon stood there with his arms crossed, looking down his nose at this woman as if he was somehow better than him. But he didn't, he had enough decorum about him. Fiatha, not to say it out loud, but he didn't know who he was messing with. Yeah. He thought it in his mind. And Jesus read his mind. And even though he looked down and can I tell you something? The way you look sometimes can tell somebody what's on your mind. Some of us can look at folk and make them think they're nothing. Some of us can look at folk and make them feel like you just slapped or stabbed them. You might not open your mouth, but you just said a whole lot in how you interact with people. And this woman was used to those looks. She was, look, she was used to being ignored on the street. She was a ghost in the community. Decent people wouldn't be around her, pulling their children away from her. Wouldn't let them talk to her. She knew the look of this thing. And Jesus knew he had to break it down before he got up out of there. And so instead of letting Simon think like he did, Jesus spoke out and said, Simon, it would have been good if he had said Simon, I know what you're thinking. But he didn't do that. He simply said to him, Simon, let me tell you a story. And then he explained to him why this woman had been forgiven so much. Because she had sinned so much. Can I tell you? Why do we shut the doors on people who need Jesus the most? Why do we think that we got it and we got to block everybody else? from getting to Jesus? Why do we get our invitation to be a part of his family and then we stop anybody else from being part of the family? Yeah, we get all we can and then we can all we can. Come on now. I came today to tell you we got to fling these doors open. There are people who need to know the Lord. Will you be put in uncomfortable situations sometime? Absolutely. Yeah, you'll be put in situations that remind you of who you used to be. You will. I'm ever from my, reminded of my buddy who was here a few years ago. He's a benchmark to me of how we move forward. 
he met everybody, Phil. A little uneasy when he came around. Y'all know Billy. Billy gone on the glory now, and I stand here in the satisfaction of knowing that despite all the issues Billy had on this side of glory, he knew the Lord. And it didn't matter what we did, he kept coming. Didn't matter how folk caught him in the corner and said crazy stuff to us, he came, and when he came, Billy sat on the front row every time he got in here. I know he had problems. I don't even need to list his problems. Why? Because if I did, I'd be listing yours. And I don't want to embarrass you like that. But the good thing about Billy is this. He acknowledged who he was. He told me, he said, Reverend, I've done a whole lot of stuff. But I love the Lord. And then he'd have that little quick laugh that he had. And he loved this church congregation too. And I came to tell you there's a whole lot more Billies out there. There's a whole lot more people who need to know us. The question is, are we going to invite them in? Is the door going to be open to them coming? If the best thing about this church is that you got in and found your salvation, it's not enough. That's people need to find it as well. They need to know who Jesus Christ is. And they need to know that he's available to them. And so today I came to say to you, I came to ask you, will we invite them? Because Jesus has already extended his invitation. Are we willing to invite the world in to be a part of our fellowship? 110 years we celebrate this year. 110 years. That started with mostly families out of East Birmingham. 110 years. Can I tell you right now that 110 years after our starting, most of the families in this church don't come from East Birmingham. They come from all over the city. They come from everywhere. We're simply the foundation. How do we make sure that 110 years from now, if the Lord say so, that 45th Street is still here? The way we do it is by extending an invitation to whosoever will. Whoever needs us needs to be able to come in this door. And whatever it is they need, we need to be able to support them in that respect. Jesus didn't come just for righteous sinners. He came to make those who are sick healthy. And that's our job as well. Jesus invites the people that other folk reject. And that's our mission too. So the invitation is there today. Just like that woman came up into that party with Simon, we got to allow people to come into our presence as well. So if you've been hurt by somebody, do you ever question God? If you're still questioning God, I extend to you an invitation to come and give a try to Jesus. You tried to walk away from God. You think God failed you. I extend to you an invitation to try him again. Maybe you had some issues in this life. Considered suicide. Cursed God. Been abused. Committed adultery. I can go on and on with the list. None of that is a barrier. 
to Jesus welcoming you. His invitation is to whosoever will. Only thing I'm going to say to you is when you come, don't come by yourself. Bring somebody else with you too. We want many folk as can come. No excuses. No excuses. Jesus died for us. He literally died on the cross for us. He literally was willing to give his life for you to be able to come into his family. But he didn't stay dead. That's the beauty of it. He didn't stay dead. My Bible tells me that he was resurrected. So not only could he invite you, he was resurrected so he can welcome you welcome you into the family. So if you're here today, what a wonderful way to start the year off by giving yourself away to him. A wonderful way to start the year off by joining a church family to help you with the issues of life. Doors of our church are wide open. The invitation is given to you. Won't you take it?